Então, meus senhores, o partido nasce hoje. Brazil's political spectrum is overly crowded. We already have 35 political parties with every stripe you can imagine. We have a right-wing Labour Party, and there is even a Brazilian women's party that was run by men facing domestic violence accusations. But despite having parties run by politicians that are not so fond of democratic values, Brazil had yet to have, in democratic times, an overtly extreme right party. That is about to change as President Jair Bolsonaro is now launching a political party of his own. It comes to the political scene aiming at becoming, and I quote, not just a new party, but the greatest party in Brazilian history, end quote. De pessoas que estejam comprometidas com o futuro do Brasil. This week we will talk about the Brazilian head of state's reliance on very extreme symbols, the radical polarization in Brazil's political spectrum, and why not, YouTube. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Breno Grillo, hello. Hi, Gustavo. Uh, you are the Brazilian Report's new correspondent in Brasilia, so welcome to the team. Thanks. So you went to the launch of Jair Bolsonaro's new party, and on the website we've talked extensively about why Bolsonaro left his old party, so let's now focus on the future. Uh, how was the event? Uh, it was pretty much a typical Bolsonaro event. Uh, some people rent against the Workers' Party, rent against Lula, quite a lot of intimidation of the press and a lot of extremist symbolism. What do you mean by extremist? The name of the new party is Alliance for Brazil, which is itself a reference to the political party of the military dictatorship, the National Renewal Alliance. We have to remember that Bolsonaro is the only Brazilian head of state to have praised the dictatorship. Even José Sarney, the first civilian president, who was also a supporter of the regime, didn't, didn't even do that while in the office. Wow. Yes, and the uniqueness of this party doesn't stop there. Once they get their registration done, which is a lengthy process that takes months and requires thousands of signatures from supporters, the Alliance for Brazil will try to be represented on electronic voting machines by the Code 38. Like the gun? Yes, like the 38 Smith and Wesson handgun, which is used by the police. There was even a commemorative plaque for the party on show, made entirely out of bullet castings and weighing some 50 kilos. So tell me, what are the values of this Alliance for Brazil? Uh, they say they will defend religious principles, ultra-neoliberalism, and launch a frontal opposition to any sort of gun control, like Bolsonaro's current administration on steroids. Ladão Celota tem que ir pro pau! You wrote an article about this party called Bolsonarism Institutionalized, with a question mark at the end. Why the doubt? Well, so far the alliance doesn't even exist. But when it does, it will be, at least at first, 
Bolsonaro's party. That's all. For it to become a true party, it will have to be more than that. It will have to develop grassroots strength beyond its main leader. You've talked to a few political scientists and members of Congress alike on that matter. Uh, what do they have to say about that? As with anything with Bolsonaro, naysayers are skeptical that he can pull it off. And his supporter says that he can do anything. And what do you think? Well, as I wrote in the piece, what's going to happen is that President Bolsonaro will reshuffle the political spectrum. He's trying to oppose himself to the Workers' Party and Lula and could be helped by Lula's recent release from prison. And that could dislocate center-right parties into a sort of limbo. But like anything in Brazilian politics, it's impossible to predict the future. Thanks, Breno. My pleasure. Next, why Bolsonaro and his party must be called far-right. It's not bias, it's a scientific definition. That's after the break. My name is Guilherme Casarões. I'm a political scientist and a professor of political science and international relations at uh, Fundação Getúlio Vargas. Guilherme, you have started an initiative called the Observatory of the Extreme Right. So to begin our conversation, I'd like to ask you what exactly is a far-right movement or politician? I mean, this term gets tossed around all the time and sometimes just to disqualify an opponent. Well, there are many uh, different definitions as to what far-right means in political science. We usually define far-right as parties or, or uh, a part of the ideological spectrum in which parties, they, they share some characteristics such as nationalism, authoritarianism, um, xenophobia, uh, and they question the democratic institutions or the very democratic values of the society they are, um, they are in. So um, the mainstream definition of far right, uh, it, it can be divided in two subsets. There is the extreme right, and the extreme right would be those parties who uh, utterly question and disregard democracy. Uh, and there is the radical right, which is a softer group of, of the, this far-right uh, category in which democracy is not totally questioned, only in some parts. So some participation aspects or some institutional elements are questioned, but not the democratic core in itself. And do Jair Bolsonaro and his new party fit the bill? Based on what he's been doing as president of Brazil, I'd place him and his party, or at least the group uh, that surrounds him as, as a radical right group, right? So they, they don't question democracy as a whole, but they keep testing the boundaries of democracy. At least that's how I see it. What, what calls my attention is that he keeps trying to mobilize people, uh, not only to his own support, but most of all against uh, democratic institutions. I mean, this is not uh, actually uh, the questioning of democratic values as a whole, 
but it's a dangerous test of democracy that Brazil is going through uh, as much as some other countries uh, across the world. So Bolsonaro and his team would, in my opinion, be considered part of this radical right. We have far-right leaders in places like Hungary, Italy, the U.S., or Turkey. And of course, country-specific dynamics obviously play a role. But how does what happens in Brazil relate to this global wave of extremism? I'd say that we are living in an age of, uh, of extremes, um, to paraphrase uh, famous historian Eric Hobsbawm. This is uh, true for left and right. So uh, it's not about ideology necessarily, but it's about um, parties coming up and proposing less and less democratic solutions to um, people's problems. So um, Steve Lewitsky and Daniel Ziblatt uh, from Harvard University, they wrote a book called How Democracies Die, which became a bestseller uh, a year ago. Um, and in this book, they argue that uh, what we are witnessing today, or at least in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, is a, a, a rollback of democratic institutions in the sense that some parties who are getting to power, they are not as committed to democracy as uh, most Western parties, uh, particularly speaking, uh, have been committed to democracy in the last uh, century or so. So, or at least ever since the end of the Second World War. So we, we witnessed the, resurgent, the, the resurgence of non-democratic or authoritarian uh, solutions, even within the context of the, the game of democracy. These expressions, both left and right, they are a testimony to what we uh, call this setback, this global setback of democracy. Um, this is very dangerous because um, we know that the alternatives to democracy tend to be very violent, uh, very authoritarian, um, very illiberal. Uh, we, we lived in the immediate post-Cold War era, an era of a lot of enthusiasm with democracy, and now things are, are cooling down and rolling back. So, so th this is the major concern. So I'd say that most of these um, uh, polarized politics that have been uh, playing around, uh, they, they relate directly to the 2008 economic crisis. So in a way, uh, uh, democracies have been uh, stable up until the massive uh, breakdown of the global capitalist economy in 2008. So people uh, tended to accept ever since they, they, they started to face a lot of economic backslide. They, they, they started to accept less democratic solutions to their own problems. We see Brazil's far right mimicking many of the tactics of the U.S.'s so-called alt-right. How does one inspire the other? I mean, where do they meet and where do they differ? Well, I'd say that the most important element that connects our experience with uh, the alt-right experience in the United States is the anti-globalism uh, or the anti-globalist character of the movement. We are drawing most of our far-right lessons from uh, the alt-right experience in the United States, especially when it comes to the aesthetics of the movement and its social network presence. So um, you, you keep seeing uh, 
prominent far-right leaders in the United States and prominent Bolsonaro supporters in Brazil um, uh, waging a war on what they call globalism. Uh, the big difference is that globalism in the United States has a very anti-Semitic meaning because they keep um, charging uh, George Soros with uh, trying to manipulate the whole world by f uh, financing some movements, uh, so some pro-human right progressive movements across the world. Uh, so Soros has become the face of this uh, globalist conspiracy, and um, and it, it turns out that it, it has become anti, deeply anti-Semitic in the case of the United States. We have no such uh, trait. This is not the first time Brazil has seen a rise of a far-right movement. Can you expand a little bit on the history of extreme movements in Brazil? Well, I'd say that Brazil has a, has a history of a, a very solid right, even though it, 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 some, in, in some moments of our history, it was not as organized as it apparently is becoming. But if you go back to the early 20th century, uh, we see uh, two major trends of a very robust right, or at least uh, of what has uh, become a, a robust right uh, over time. Uh, one of these sources is the military. So the military, um, especially after the Second World War, they they played a very important role as political uh mediators or uh, political balancers um, in the Brazilian society. And um, it's no coincidence that, that Bolsonaro keeps talking about um, the role of the military, he keeps empowering the military, not only in his narrative, but also in his own cabinet. So uh, the military, they, they are seen as the, the, the bulwark against communism in Brazil. So that's a very important element of uh, our own expression of the rights. Um, and on the other hand, you have um, religious nationalism, which is something that political science has uh, turned their, their eyes to recently, the rise of religious, national, religious nationalism across the world. This is something that is also happening in Brazil. With a difference here, because it's no longer just a Catholic expression of religious nationalism, but also a an evangelical expression of it, um, which is curious because Brazil is one of the few countries in which Catholics and evangelicals, they've actually joined forces um, to back up uh, a single candidate and to propose uh, a whole a whole set of uh, new values or a whole new agenda, especially when it comes to uh, moral issues such as abortion, such as human rights, and so on and so forth. Coming back to Jair Bolsonaro's new party, the Alliance for Brazil, what kind of effect will it have within the Brazilian right? What we are witnessing with all uh, all the internal struggle within the PSL, which used to be Bolsonaro's party, is that uh, the Brazilian right is going through um, an ideological purge. So the impression that I have is that um, in many ways, uh, this, this Brazilian right is very personalistic in the sense they, that, that, that they are uh, very loyal to Bolsonaro and their initiatives all revolve around the image of the president of Brazil. So uh, when I say ideological purge, I have the impression that uh, whoever considers themselves uh, part of the right or even the far right, 
but they are not loyal to Bolsonaro, they will be put to the sidelines. They will be labeled as leftists. Even people that we unequivocally would consider far-right people or cent, uh, center to right, um, they, are, they, they started to be considered part of what they call the new left. Finally, before I let you go, uh, I'd like to ask you about Lula and his workers' party. The head of a major Brazilian investment fund uh, that is a very vocal Bolsonaro supporter has complained about the fact that Lula and his party are not called far left by the press. But should they be? The thing about the left is that we have a concrete experience with the left in power for 13 uh, straight years uh, under Lula and President Rousseff. So uh, judging by what the the Workers' Party uh, has done, not only as the opposition party for most of the democratic period, but also as government, uh, I would place them as a center-left party. Um, they have, of course, some leaders who sometimes they hint at violent reactions to what's going on. But judging by what the party has uh, actively done, pursued and, and done, uh, I would place it as a, as a moderate left party. After the break, we're talking about one of the vehicles for this impressive rise in far-right extremism in Brazil. Hi, my name is Lucas Bert, and I work at the Brazilian Report. Do you like the Explaining Brazil podcast? Then please, rate our show on whatever platform you may be listening to. And don't forget to share it with your friends and co-workers. Many people write us asking how they can support this show. The best way is by subscribing to the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. You can enjoy a 7-day free trial and subscription plans start at only $3.90 per month. That's cheaper than drinking two lattes a month at Starbucks. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. Ewan Marshall, what is Godwin's Law? <laughs> hey, Gustavo. Uh, so Godwin's Law, it states that as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of someone making a comparison which involves the Nazis or Hitler approaches one. And we have something of swords with YouTube, right? Yeah, I suppose you can say that because, I mean, I'm sure many of our listeners were already have noticed this themselves, but with YouTube's related videos algorithm, the more you watch the more likely it is that you'll be directed to some sort of, you know, conspiracy theorist. Why is that? Well, the thing is, YouTube, like any other website or platform online, they want to keep you hooked and watching videos, getting their content across in order to make their product more appealing to their advertisers. It's like that great saying that if you're not paying for something, it's because, of course, you are the product. Yep, exactly. So, YouTube sells eyeballs, And they will bend over backwards to keep you watching video after video after video. Because, I mean, who hasn't lost track of time going down a rabbit hole and watching a series of things that YouTube just recommends to you? Guilty. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, the problem with that is that the more you keep watching videos, especially those with any relation to politics, it becomes more and more likely that YouTube's algorithm is going to throw up some really, like, bizarre content. I'm talking about, you know, proper conspiracy theorism, Illuminati sort of stuff, flat earthism, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that has helped to fuel many underground fringe ideas, especially on the far right of the political spectrum. But why is that? Because, I mean, the far left also produces some crazy ideas. And just to mention one of them is that theory uh, that Jair Bolsonaro faked the stabbing attack he suffered during the 2018 campaign. And that's true. But a recent report by a website called Manual do Usuario for The Intercept it shows that YouTube's algorithm has ended up boosting far-right channels in Brazil more than any other kind of channel. And some of these pages had even been taken down on Facebook for spreading misinformation. Jesus, when you're worse than Facebook in curbing the spread of fake news, uh, you must be pretty bad. Yeah, and you know, throughout the world, these, these big tech companies, they've received a lot of backlash for being vectors of false information. I mean, everyone remembers that recent U.S. Congress hearing with Mark Zuckerberg, the, the, the CEO of Facebook. But now, in Brazil, these companies are saying that they want to help curb fake news online. Okay, and how? For starters, they've teamed up with Brazil's electoral justice system to pull their efforts and curb misinformation in the 2020 election season. That's something they didn't do last year. Right. And now, November 26th, YouTube has launched its own anti-fake news tool. Okay, tell me more. Yeah, so basically it will rely on efforts by the mainstream media and fact-checking agencies to monitor viral content on YouTube and then place warnings on any videos which are deemed to be spreading fake information. And I'm sure there is a but here. But that, that's where it stops. You know, YouTube will only tag the videos. They won't take them down. And the problem is that many users will not pay attention to these tags and they'll just consume this false information just like they did before. By what you're saying, it sounds more like an image move than an actual effort to limit the spreading of false information because these big tech companies, they hide behind this freedom of speech principles and, and just let people publish whatever they want because it will make them a, an easier buck. Yeah, you can be forgiven for being skeptical of how much big tech will actually engage in these efforts because, you know, in recent years, these Silicon Valley giants have given half-hearted apologies and refused to fully recognize their roles in the rise of extreme political views, which have been amplified by that echo chamber effect that social media creates. You yourself don't sound that confident. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see, because the 2020 municipal elections will be a good litmus test of all of this, because you've got social media companies and electoral watchdogs, they're no longer going to have any excuse not to fight hard against fake news, because now they know their enemy, so to speak. So I think it's best to reserve judgment until after this coming vote. All right, next year, let's have this conversation again. Yeah, no bother. <laughs> This podcast was written and prepared by me, Gustavo Ribeiro. Ewan Marshall edited the final script. If you like explaining Brazil and the Brazilian Report, don't forget to rate us on whatever platform you use for podcasts. It takes only a second and it really helps more people to discover this show. But the absolute best way to support this show is by subscribing to the Brazilian Report. Subscription plans start at only $3.90 and not a lot to support independent journalism in these times of fake news, am I right? 
So every day we have new content about Brazilian politics, finance, society, Latin American affairs, environmental issues, you name it. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. That's all for now. See you next week. Thank you.